0: we're back here on the JR the Boss Man show WDJY 99.1 straight talk Boss Beckler here got another great show for you this week uh, as we told you last week you can check the show out bossmanshow.com is getting redone uh the iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play Music TuneIn. in Hot Radio has the uh, single shows uh, we have a lot of different platforms people just gotta check them out. Stick with yourself. Follow us on Twitter. I hope you saw my pictures from the Hawks game this weekend against the Chicago Bulls. Their marketing kid gonna be special, man. It was Hawks Throwback Night, seventh night the Hawks game. Sir Fox doing his thing, doing his doing his music, musical talents. Big Tigger doing big things on DJing. Ryan Cameron calling all the shots with the for threes. Good day for us, Bossman Show uh, on Twitter, Jared the Bossman, Instagram. Check it out. Stick with us on the show. Uh, last week's emails was crazy. Uh, the boss report was crazy. Uh, JC Sigma was crazy. Uh, I mean, John, last week's show was off the chain, man.
1: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed last week's show. We had a good time. This week's show is shaping up to be another uh, another good show. We've got uh, one of our favorite guys from, NF- from the NFL world uh john mcclain coming on don't we
0: yeah we do houston chronicle yeah. john mcclain he's coming up next uh used to call into the studio alliance <laughs> here to talk to us some football for two segments people that's two segments full bracelets yeah
1: he's uh he, he's always got the the inside scoop on everything too my man's been around for a while so he knows the ins and outs of everything that's going on you know he, he knows how to read the tea leaves when you look at some of these uh, situations that are out there and there's a lot of speculation there there's no speculation in his reporting because he knows man
0: <laughs> john mcclain's been covering the nfl so long and i've been alive right <laughs> i'm born in 87 this man been doing it since 1979 you feel me 79 he's been covering the nfl for 6 1979
1: Plus, we got more uh, We got more boss report. We got more emails. You got some emails for me this week? What's I, up with the emails? I
0: got emails for you, John. Email best at com. We went crazy. My man, Derek in Miami, was the first normal email I've seen in a long time. Derek in Miami was so normal. I was shocked with the answer. My man, Derek's email. Like, dude, for real. It's normal email. Yeah. We got some emails for you. We'll try to get me as we can. I promise nothing. If we get on a tangent, like the sham wow, the flex seal, or <laughs> the non sticking pan, right. it's going to happen, brother. Like, Yes, we send the. I send our email. Where are you going to get my email? Well, I can't get everybody's email. We only got twelve minutes a segment or so. I I I know we got four hours, but I gotta come up with sports and entertainment. I can't do an all email show. So John's ain't want to have an all email show. I'll be throw <laughs> off the air with an all email show.
1: <laughs> an all email, yeah, I don't know if we can make it through that man. Like there's we definitely would have trump trouble with that. Now I do have my boss man show email Thesaurus on deck over here, so I mean, I could I could do it if I needed to, but I'm telling you, man, you do you do four hours of emails, bro. That, you'd be delirious at the end of that.
0: I think we might be off the air, today with DJY, if that happened. So. <laughs>
1: <Well>. <laughs> <laughs> we may be excommunicated quickly from the air. You, yeah, you're you're definitely taking uh you're taking you're increasing your 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 percentage on getting booted off the air if you do a four hour uh, email, right? Maybe two segments the
0: most, maybe a right. whole hour, maybe, but not <laughs> four hours of it. No way, uh, no hell.
1: No doubt, but I'm looking forward to it, man. Last week's show was on point. This this week's show is shaping up to be on point. You never know, though. Someday we might get. We might get around to, like, a, a full hour worth of emails for, you know, somebody cancels on us or, you know, we're light on content. You never know. We might pop off and do an hour.
0: Exactly. Like, so, check out our flash relation, WDJY.9.1 FM, Metro Atlanta, Straight Talk. Follow them on Twitter, WDJYFM. Uh, that's our flash this year. I like got I told you, they give us four hours, Saturdays, eight to noon. You listen to it right now on your tune-in apps. Listen live from the website, WDJY Dot com Hype Media Global, they got you, they got you covered. Well, all the, all the straight talk in the world, I am not have to people. So we got the show, we got that this week, like I said, boss support. We're going to talk JC. We never know what he has for us this week. We don't know what he's going to have, we never know what he has this week uh, for us. But we will find out about that, when he calls in. Top three with Tyndall, uh, we got that coming up this week as well. I'm the picking king of the world. We we know that who will win who will wins that battle. So you know what it is always on the Boss Man Show. JR and John, sports and entertainment. We're here to enter, John, We're here to do what always entertain, educate, and electrify. Has it been
1: a mission this day one, John? Is it the day one mission here? It's the day one mission, and the, the hardest part <laughs> is the education part. <laughs> you be hearing those emails every week, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I think we're we try to
0: educate you to be smarter, not, you know, email email alike. You know what I'm saying? So yes, always trust loyalty and respect and all is boss Fan show. We're authentic, we're loyal, we respect you. All here to entertain, educate, and let's try you every week. W J Y on the that we're people. You feel me? Get at us. We got you covered. So Hey, look here. Great show for you. Kicking it off strong. John McClain, he's coming up next. Two segments after this break. Boss Man Show. Jr. and John, we here.
2: Yeah.
0: We're here on the JR the Boss Man show. We have a great guest for you. I've told you that's a full to John McClain when I was a kid in Nashville with my mother with George Platt's one by the zone. I love this guy. I love his stories. I had him on the show, our show once more again. There's the one on John McClain, Houston Chronicle. How are you doing today? How is things in Houston today, John?
3: Things are great, JR. Great weather, great uh great time of the year. Getting ready to go to the Super Bowl, Mike think it'll be my 38th or 39th I've lost track.
0: Oh, man, I'd hey, that's great, man. That's a hell of a streak you have there. I, I'll hope to make, get that streak like you one day. I really do. I really do, man.
3: <laughs> you, you better live a long life, I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> well, I'm 30 now, so hopefully I can get to 70 years old still doing this, man. Hopefully I can.
3: You got a chance. You got a chance.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, you know, as you know it, John, I'm, I, I have roots in Nashville, and so I had to ask you about uh, the hiring of Mike Rabel as their new head coach. They was, He was the Texas defensive coordinator. So you just talked to us, like, what kind of culture they get in Tennessee and what kind of person they get for the city of Nashville going forward.
3: I first dealt with Rabel when I was covering the NFL, and I covered a lot of Patriot games in the playoffs and Super Bowls after the Oilers moved to Nashville in 96. So for eight years, between the Oilers and the Texans, I traveled around the league, had the greatest job you could have. Went wherever I wanted, and the Patriots were good at that point. So I loved Boston, spent a lot of time up there, and watched Rabel be a great player on a great team. I got to know his inside linebacker, Ted Johnson, who I do a show with here in Houston, on the, uh, the Texans' flagship. And Ted told me back then, he said, Mike Vrabel is going to be a head coach in the NFL. I said, how do you figure? He said, because it's just in his DNA. He said, he, he after we go over game plans, he asked Romeo Cornell, the defensive coordinator, and Bill Belichick, he said he asked Romeo and Bill questions about coaching. He always wants to know about coaching, why they did this, why they did that, why they didn't do this, why they didn't do that. He said he wants to be a coach when he's retired. And so after he retired from 15 year career, um, he went to his alma mater, Ohio state to work for urban Meyer. And he had a chance to go to the Patriots, but he wanted to branch out from being a Patriot. So when the Texans hired Romeo Cornell to work under Bill O'Brien in 2014, Romeo reached out to Vrabel. O'Brien knew him after five years with the Patriots. He came here. He was linebacker's coach three years, defensive coordinator this year. And Mike is a still looks like he could play. He's 42. He's 6'4, 260. He's very animated, demonstrative. He, he kind of takes up the room. He's a good talker, he's very demanding of his players. I watched him coach those guys get turn some players turn players into some were mediocre became good. Devon Clowney was injured and became great, and he took a guy like Zach Cunningham, second round pick from Vanderbilt, and turned him into one of the most productive rookies. So uh, he's known what he wanted to do, and he's worked for Bill Cower and Bill Belichick, Romeo Cornell, Urban Meyer, Bill O'Brien here. And as he told the, the media at his news conference on Monday in Nashville, when they said, how do you know you're ready? He said, nobody knows for sure when they do this, when they take over. He said, I'll make mistakes, but I won't make the same mistake twice. And I talked to Bill Parcells recently for a column on the Texans' new general manager, Brian Gain. and one thing he said was, You never know for sure how a head coach is going to do when he's doing it for the first time, and you never know how a general manager is going to do. He said, until you have the head that wears the crown, you never know for sure. But everybody that has worked with Vrabel knew he was going to be a head coach, not a matter of if, but a matter of when, and he was able to pull it off uh, very early in his career.
1: Now, John, I wanted to uh, take you over to another coaching situation. Uh, Not a first-timer, but a new coach. Uh, It's kind of an open secret, I guess, that Josh McDaniels is going to be the next head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. If that does, in fact, turn out to be the case, how do you think he'll do uh, his second time around as an NFL head coach?
3: Josh McDaniels is definitely going to the Colts. And if he learned from his mistakes the first time, and he was awful with the Broncos... And the reason was the guys who spend their entire career with the Patriots. And this is something Matt Patricia's got to worry about in Detroit. When they've spent their entire career there and they get a head coaching job, they have to realize they're not the Patriots. They're not Belichick. They don't have Brady. A guy like Bill O'Brien has been the most successful former uh, Belichick assistant, he was there five years, but he had he also worked for George O'Leary and Ralph Regent in college, so he had different ways to do things. The guys like Patricia and McDaniels, the first time, they know no other way. And McDaniels has said he learned a lot. He keeps a record of mistakes he made, things he needs to do different. And the main thing he needs to know, he cannot be Belichick, and I'm thinking that he probably knows that. He's a really good offensive coach. We all know that. Brady swears by him. Belichick swore by him. But he can't think he's going to do things in Indianapolis like they do in Indy. I was covering the Oilers when Belichick was in Cleveland. He was terrible. He got in the playoffs one time. And when he got fired, we all thought he'd spend the rest of his career as defensive coordinator for Bill Parcells when they were reunited. And when he got hired by New England, we thought at the time, wow, what a bad decision by Robert Kraft. He made that decision to stick it to Parcells, and it turned out to be one of the greatest in the history of sports. So if Josh McDaniels has learned, he's got a chance to succeed, and it'll be a whole lot better if Andrew Luck can come back guilty. got that
0: right. We got John McClain here on the Boston the Show from Houston Chronicle. And... Uh, John, look at the AFC South. Like you said, I've coming to Bill check South. You got Vrabel in Tennessee, Bro O'Brien in Houston. Browns referred by him. And you have McDonald's going to Indianapolis. So, in the future, I think this be, AFC South will be one of the more competitive divisions in the whole league. One of the best divisions in the league, Mario, the Star Power, Deshaun Watson. You have also Luck in
3: Indianapolis. If Andrew Luck comes back from the uh, torn labrum surgery, and doesn't need surgery on his biceps, they won't know that for sure until he starts throwing, and they see if he can throw hard without pain, which he couldn't last season. And if Mike Vrabel can get a coach in there who can turn around Mariota, who regressed this season, even though they made the second round of the playoffs, along with Bortles was improved. Nobody knows if Jacksonville's going to commit to him or maybe try to trade for a guy like Alex Smith or possibly Eli Manning, although I don't think the Giants are going to trade Eli. But the division should be better. It should be more competitive. And uh, Deshaun Watson was on a pace to throw 43 touchdown passes and run for six as a rookie. And in his last five starts, he started six games. They averaged 34 points a game. In his last five games, they averaged 39. And then the four games in which he had DeAndre Hopkins playing with his other receiver, Will Fuller, they averaged 40.5. So people here are really fired up about not just Hopkins, but the Texans had 13 starters on injured reserve, 20 players Overall, as opposed to a team like Jacksonville, that was missing one starter. So injuries play into it, of course, but uh, I look for the division to be so much better, kind of like the way the AFC West was until this season, the way the NFC East has been, and the best division to me is the NFC South. The team that I picked, Tampa, was the worst, and right now, to me, the NFC South, top to bottom, has the best quarterbacks.
1: Now, John, I'm a, a lifelong Clevelander, okay? So I've uh, struggled through with nah, the Browns. let me, my
3: condolences.
1: <laughs> 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 but listen, I, I came in when I first started uh, following the Browns when I was r- real young in, uh, you know, pre-middle school. Fifth, sixth grade is when I can remember watching them play the Broncos in the playoffs and having some of those great teams in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I lived through the whole Belichick era that, era that you touched on earlier in the show and you know i don't want to belabor a team that's gone you know one and 31 in the past two years but i figure we might as well touch on it and see where in the hell this team is going because i've always been since i've followed the team been a proponent of leaving guys in place from a coaching perspective for at least four to five years because there it seems like their achilles heel in the front office through the course of this whole mess that they've been in since they came back in 99 has been a short trigger with coaches. And going back all the way to Chudzinski, I said they should have kept that guy around just to give him some time to work a system. They have no um, system in place. They always get rid of these guys after a year, two years, two and a half years, and there's no system built up there. So I'm interested to get your opinion on A, where Cleveland is headed, and B, where they should be headed if it's not the direction that you uh, would agree with from a, a philosophical standpoint.
3: Uh, Jim Haslam made a terrible mistake with the last time that he uh, elevated or moved Sashi Brown from the administrative side to be a general manager. Sashi's very smart, but he wasn't a personnel guy. Now, that being said, he's left him in good shape. And then he hired Paul Day Podesta from the Mets, and everybody thought he was going to change the way the nfl does business with analytics the nfl's been doing analytics for years they don't brag about it like baseball does that's why you have offensive and defensive quality control coaches they've got every kind of number and tendency you could ever have and everybody in the league thought that was a mistake we didn't know about Hugh jackson you had one year with the raiders he was eight and eight never could figure out why he was fired one season after he went eight and eight Never heard a good explanation, but he was highly regarded as an offensive coordinator. Now, I can tell you for a fact, they have a personnel department that is outstanding. Haslam's finally got it right. Hiring John Dorsey, before the Giants had a shot at him, was smart. And then he got the big turnover in Green Bay. He took advantage of it to bring in Alonzo Ismith. I've known Alonzo for 30 years since the Oilers drafted him third overall in '87. And I know from dealing with him players he liked in the draft, players he didn't like. He is a terrific personnel man and a terrific judge of character, which a lot it goes into a decision. And then Elliot Wolf, Ron Wolf's son, everybody says is going to be a general manager. They got him away from Green Bay. And it wouldn't surprise me if eventually Scott McLuhan doesn't end up with them, that they get the band back together from Green Bay. That is a tremendous personnel department, and they're loaded with picks. You know, they have theirs and the Texans and then three twos, and also keep in mind um, the thing that bothers me the most, an owner who hires a general manager should not force him to keep a coach. Jim Haslam has told John Dorsey, you are the head coach. If you want to keep Hugh, you keep him. If you want to hire somebody else, you do it. Because the odds are, they keep Hugh, and he might win a few games next year, and he's still going to be gone because you know Dorsey has some coaches that he likes. You know, maybe he would have hired Matt Nagy you know, from Kansas City and went to Chicago. You don't know. So that's the only thing I don't like about it. I think they're going to get, with that, with that staff, they're going to get Two difference makers with those first two of their first four picks in the draft, and then they'll load up. and I think everything is going to be good for the Browns. They've only got one way to go, of course, but I do think that uh, they can get out there right away and win a few games. But I still think they're destined to have a new coach uh, in in uh, 2019.
0: Folks, we got John we we'll with see you will be back for one more segment. After this question, we got one more second with John McClain people so say some bad people Uh, no John Greg Knapp a guy who I, you and I both know pretty well was hired as a quarterback coach here in Atlanta on the Steve Sargeesian I want to ask, you both, ask you this perspective about Greg Knapp John will he help Steve Sargeesian be a better game manager was play calling and help feel some plays maybe it's like hey let's just run the ball more be more balanced call plays with Julio Jones more so what do you feel like Greg Knapp will bring to the, foul, the offensive side of the ball this next season coming up here
3: well, that depends on how much authority Dan Quinn wants to give him, how much Steve Sarkeesian wants to listen to him. Now, Knapp was here with the Texans. He did a really good job as quarterback coach under Gary Kubiak. And uh, Greg's bounced around. He's been a coordinator. He's been a quarterback coach. And I just know how he did here, and they all swore by him. And then Kubiak got him. And he left here to be offensive coordinator in Oakland. Then when Kubiak went to Denver, he brought him there. So I think that was a terrific move. And you know, Matt Ryan didn't play, we all know as well this season as he did last season when he was MVP. And he's certainly capable of it. They've got the weapons and sometime a new quarterback is just the quarterback coach is just what the quarterback needs. The coordinator is gonna coach him a lot, but on game days, you know, they they uh, it just depends on how much Sarkeesian wants to let Greg suggest things to him. Now, Sarkesian knows him better than Knapp, but I, overall, I just think that was a really good move based on what I know about Nap.
0: Folks, you yeah, had John McClane in the Boss Man Show.
2: All right, folks, back with
0: John will, on the Boss Man Show. Uh, we're talking about a Falcons football last question. Talks some Tigers, AFC South. That AFC South theme here with John McLean. Uh, now, John, I also want to get your point of view about Deshaun Watson. Uh, where is he in terms of rehab? And what are some areas in the Texans should address this offseason before us? Better around the show. Deshaun Watson.
3: When Watson was the quarterback here um, before he got hurt in practice nobody really complained about the Texans offensive line after they gave up 10 sacks in the opening game against Jacksonville. And one reason, and when Watson was playing, when he went down, they were third in the league in rushing averaging 143 yards a game. They had Lamar Miller as the starter, rookie Deontay Foreman as the backup. And then, and then they had Watson and Watson went down for the year. Foreman went down for the year and so did their rushing statistics. So, Bill O'Brien was the primary coach for Watson. He was drew the game plan, and called the plays. And they were doing some things that I haven't seen done. And this was my 38th year covering the NFL with some things they did with motion and fakes and play action, and and uh, it was just exciting to watch. And then Watson got hurt, blew out his ACL on a little toss in practice. He just bounced a couple of times, came down wrong. He uh. Bill O'Brien told us at the end of the year he's ahead of schedule and they'll have him back for OTAs and they'll take it easy on him in OTAs and then he'll be full go for training camp and they will have at least three maybe four new starters in their offensive line. They're loaded at receiver. They're loaded at running back. They made, they've they got all their tight ends. They had two tight ends. The first two tight ends went on injured reserve and they had an H-back and the backup lineman playing the position. So They've got all those guys back. So what they need to do is a better job up front. And uh, they should, again, be one of, if not the highest scoring team in the league, based on what we saw in his six starts last season.
1: Now, John, I wanted to throw a comparison out there for you uh, with coaches. Would you agree or compare uh, the Brian-Gain-Bill O'Brien pairing to the John robinson like Rabel pairing in Tennessee do you, do you think the the set a setup like this works best for an organization?
3: Well, first of all, um, Bill O'Brien and the Texans GM Rick Smith, Rick had been there twelve years. he and Bill had been there four years, and like so many other marriages between coaches and GMs Jimmy Johnson Jerry Jones, uh, John Gruden, Rich McKay, Bill Coward, Tom Donahoe. Mike Holmgren, Ron Wolf, Floyd Reese, Jeff Fisher, um, John Butler, and Marty Schottenheimer. And it's happened other times. They just, you know, you reach a point, like in a marriage, some point, you either work out your differences or you move on, and they moved on. And uh, so Gain, who had been here for the last four drafts and free agent periods, got along very well with the coaches and O'Brien, as well as personnel people, and uh, the administrative people. He's the one that I was hoping that they would hire him, and a lot of people here, um, uh, in the media and fans, didn't want him just because he'd been here. Well, he was, his last four teams, three of his, la- his last three teams have been in the playoffs, and uh, and the fact that he gets along with everybody was important. They have harmony now, and one thing I told people, Bob McNair, the owner, who was on the search committee with his son Cal, is the chairman and then uh O'Brien and the president Jamie Roots and then uh Jed Hughes from the Corn Ferry search firm. One of the things that McNair has access to is every scouting report that Brian Gain filed uh on pro on the draft and free agency. And if he had made a bunch of bad recommendations, say he didn't want to trade up for Watson or he didn't think Zach Cunningham could play. And or a lot they wouldn't have hired it, but obviously they looked at his recommendations, and there's nothing can be changed about that. And they looked at it, and that's one that they liked what they saw, and that's one of the reasons they hired him. So the difference in Tennessee is John Robinson was the GM doing the hiring, and he recommended Mike Brabel to Amy Adams Strunk, who signed off on it, the owner. And in this case, it was the owner doing the hiring. And Bill O'Brien wanted him, of course, but the owner had conduct. He he led the search, and so Bob McNair, through not just the recommendation of the other people, but what he saw in those scouting reports and what he knew of Brian Gain over the last four drafts and free agent periods, seemed to me to be a really good hire. It's like Bill Parcells, I did a column with him because he worked with Gain three places, hired him in Dallas and Miami. He he went on and on about how he has everything it takes to be a top-flight general manager. But, as he pointed out, you never know for sure with anybody when they get that decision-making um, uh, responsibility.
0: Now, John, I want to ask you a follow-up question about Tennessee. Uh, and owners that living in Houston, I'm family in Houston. Is Tennessee's ownership situation steady now? The NFL still frowns upon how it's set up in Tennessee for the ownership group.
3: I never understood really what the complaint is. There's a lot of things when you've had um, families involved. The way Bud Adams set it up for his family, he has, he has he has two daughters. He had two daughters. He's dead, of course. And he had the um, the wife of his son who died in the 80s. So he left it to those three entities. And if two of the three voted away, that's what they did. If one third wanted to sell uh, what their their share, they could do that. So the problem is, the third entity um, is his son's wife, who's remarried. Her two sons, Kenneth Stanley Adams, the third, and then his son Barkley. Each of them, the mom, and the two sons, have a third. So it's complicated, and the league can't make them sell if they even wanted to. And the main the main partner. Amy Adams Trunk, when you are designated as the managing partner, every team has to do this. That person has to own thirty percent and you have to be liquid for thirty percent. Well if your franchise worth, say, one point five billion, figure out thirty percent of that and that's a lot of liquidity. But uh, they're not complaining about it anymore. They were. I don't know if they've complied. Usually, if they don't like something that an ownership group is doing, they can fine them. But that doesn't mean squat. You know, that's, that's tip money for, the, for them. And, um, or they could fine them draft choices, and they haven't ever done that. So I'm thinking they don't have a problem with it right now.
0: Now, you mentioned in the first season, how you brace and go to Minnesota for your third Super Bowl. Now, how are you going to embrace for that cold in Minnesota, John? And will Minnesota, in your mind, be one of those one-off spots, kind of like how Detroit was back in 2004, I think it was, when Pittsburgh
3: won? Well, I had a great time in the one in 92 up there. And, um, you know, you just embrace the cold. And at the time, we were downtown, the Metrodome's downtown. And I say we, I'm talking about the media, the NFL headquarters of downtown. In Minneapolis, you don't have to ever go outside. You have walkways connecting every building. So if you didn't want to go outside, you didn't have to. This year they have put the media headquarters at the Mall of America, the largest mall in the world, and it's it's by the airport in Bloomington. And so that's where the headquarters are. All the media hotels as well as the NFL headquarters are all at airport hotels and um, which is fine with me I don't care but there's no walkway from the airport Marriott where I'm staying across two parking lots in the summer or during, when the weather is nice I've stayed there and walked with no problem but you know if it's five degrees it's going to be a little cold so there's going to be a lot of shuttles but in Detroit I liked it because we were all in the same place headquarters interviews everything was at the Renaissance Center you never had to go outside if you didn't want to but it's just one of those things you adjust, and they always the cold weather cities roll out the red carpet for the media because they want people to say nice things about their city. But with this U.S. Bank Stadium is an incredible stadium. I got a tour of it last year when the uh, when they played, uh, the Texans played the the Vikings, and it was magnificent and now the you know the mercedes dome in atlanta it's 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 the new tasma hall but i can't wait to get back up there because i tweeted this i think this morning it's a privilege to cover a super bowl because every day i hear so many people i know tell me friends i man, i'd love to go to a super bowl I know other people in the media, like in my paper, the Houston Chronicle, said, "Man, I'd like to cover a Super Bowl." One time, a player was giving me a hard time. This is about five years ago, and he said something like, "How many Super Bowls have you been to?" I've been to three or two or whatever. I said, "Well, let me think of it. I've been to 35." Shut him down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well speaking of uh, you know uh, good stories I was hoping to hear one from you uh, about Paul wall jr and I were doing research for the show and he told me that uh, you know you're friends with Paul Wall he's one of our favorite rappers from Houston uh, alongside Willie D and the ghetto boys you got any cool stories about uh, about Paul wall you can share with us
3: well actually that's stretching it I've met Paul a couple times but I'm not
1: friends with him but I do know a lot about
3: him because he is such a diehard fan, his avatar is of the Oilers, an Oiler jersey, and I met Paul at a home run derby the Oilers, the Texans were doing at Minute Maid Park uh, before an Astros game, and Paul participated, and uh, he's from a little suburb here called Jersey Village, and I was with a couple of guys that grew up with him a couple of weeks ago, and they said they all used to play sports in the, in the yard. And uh Paul was always big into the the new kind of music that came up then, rap music, but nobody had any idea he would end up making a career out of it and such a successful career with so much notoriety, but he's a big Astros fan too, and like all of us who are Astros fans, he celebrated that World Series, let me
2: tell you.
0: Uh, I bet John. I can only imagine L you know, I cover basketball a lot too as well outside of football. So what's been the buzz around the city of Houston well, With Chris Paul coming to town, and now they're potentially possibly challenging the Warriors for what's supremacy this season?
3: Right now is the first time that they will have had all their players together. Paul's been hurt. He came back in hard and played a little. Clint Capella got hurt. They just had two guys suspended twice for the incident in uh, L.A. with the Clippers. So our basketball writer, Jonathan Fagan, and I saw him right today, this is the first time they've had their full complement of players. And seeing Arden and, and Paul together, and when they that's the, the, when those two play with Clint Capella, their big man, I think they're 18-0. And, wow. and so uh, they got on that good run, then they hit a slump because Paul went out, so... I think it's pretty clear right now, barring injury, they're the second-best team in the West, and uh, it's pretty clear they better get a home-court advantage if they want to have a chance to beat the Warriors. They just beat them here. They beat them out there in the first game of the season, but if the Warriors get a home-court advantage, which I'm sure they will, I hope the Rockets at least take them to seventh.
1: Now, John, I wanted to to swing it over to baseball real quick as we wind down our time with you here and talk a little bit about the Astros World Series uh, win and, you know, how that dovetailed into the overall feeling in the city with the damage that was inflicted during the hurricane uh, that hit the city so hard. You know, just give us an impression about how, A, that helped the city and B, where the city stands today as far as recovering from that devastating hurricane.
3: There's a lot of people I read every day in the Houston Chronicle that have not gotten their insurance, have not gotten their relief from the government. They're still not able to go home, and it's just incredibly sad. And we have stories constantly about they need to spend billions to make sure this doesn't happen again by having more reservoirs and widening and deepening the bayous that run through our city. But the uh, the Astros galvanized the city. They're a very popular team. You know, they suffered for three years, and pe- people kind of, it's like watching your baby stumble and fall. But, you know, you get eye hopes for when your baby grows up. Now the baby grew up last year. And Jose Altuve is is one of the most popular athletes in our city's history. And, uh, and Carlos Correa is getting there. But the fact that people like them so much, they have a good group of guys. Now they got a tremendous starting rotation after trading for Garrett Cole. So the, them, a lot of people probably picked the Yankees because they added John Carlos Stanton, but the Astros have added two relievers and a starter without having to give up anything. So we're looking forward to another good season. The day after they won it, everything was euphoric, and then Deshaun Watson goes down for the season. So it was like you're on top of the ceiling and then boom, you crash land. And then the Rockets started and got off to a great start and that got everybody fired up. Really, when Watson was playing and the Rockets were off to a great start and Astros were winning the World Series, it's the first time in our city's history when all three were good at once. And then when Watson got hurt, Texans collapsed. And then, of course, the Rockets are still going. It'd be great. To have another championship, the people are pumped. as the Astros, as you can imagine.
0: Can I say you what I? will share for you guys in the Astros. Uh, I was hoping, that, hoping, because that I mean, y'all, y'all, you all need that win for the city. And like I said, I love listening to the zone. I try to catch you every time I can. When I hear, I see the tweet, the be on the zone. I try to catch it, even though I'm down in Atlanta working. I try to make sure I see you because you was part of my childhood. I love all these stories. I learn so, so much from you all the time.
3: Thank you very much, Jr. It's my 22nd year of being on the radio in uh, Nashville. It's hard to believe the Oilers left 22 years ago. Thank you guys for having me on.
0: No problem. Folks, this is John McClane on the Boss Man Show. Check him out on Twitter. He's McClain on the NFL.
1: Thanks to this year-round research and analysis, the guys at DDC have an unmatched understanding of player values. So gain an edge on your league mates this season by hitting up DraftDayConsultants.com. That's www.DraftDayConsultants.com. Now get after it, fantasy footballers.
0: Back here on the boss man show, we're joined by the Montana Grizzlies head coach Travis DeCourt here on the boss man show. Coach DeCourt, how are things out there in Montana, man? I know it's probably colder than he is here down in Atlanta, man.
4: Oh, uh, no question. Got hit with a little bit of snow today, but uh, cold is cold is what it's about out here in this area.
0: <laughs> I hear you, coach. Hey, coach, last week. We had snow here in Atlanta. Three, three inches of snow here. Fourteen degrees, Coach. I about lost my mind. I, Cause see, I, I'm, a, I'm a Florida guy, Coach. I'm not used to no snow, man. <laughs> I was messed <laughs> up, man.
4: That's funny. We were uh, in Atlanta back in the middle of December and got hit with snow while we were there, and we seen the whole town shut down. Yes,
0: indeed. Every time, Coach. If one speck, we done here. <laughs> <laughs> That's about what it was. What's back? (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, Coach, congrats on your 7-0-bit sky play. You're winning in in the last 10 games. Coach, yourself with tough losses at Washington. So, Coach, talk to us about what's been the key factors for you and your team winning on the streets that you're on right now, starting conference play so hot so far.
4: Uh, For us, the biggest thing has been our defense. You know, we've we've got a team that can put some points on the board. We're averaging a little under 90 right now in conference play. But a lot of it has been off of our defense, our pace. You know, we're getting up and down pretty fast. Uh, but the things that have stood out statistically really for us is the fact that we've forced turnovers and uh, we're minimizing three-point shots to our opponent, which uh, is, is allowing us to get out in the transition a little bit.
0: Now, Coach, speaking, uh, I want to talk about non conference play a little bit, Coach. Uh, how much do you attribute your team' starts to or- – and going out and playing on a tough non-conference schedule, going on against some high majors there, competing with the high majors, beating Pittsburgh for sure, going down to the wild with Washington, and those guys. So how much did that help you guys get ready for, for a big sky, play, playing at a high major competition there?
4: A lot. You know, It, it um, you, know, you learn from losses, for one. Um, but I, I think it's been a three-year process. We've been playing this tough schedule for the last three years. We've come close. You know, we double overtime loss to Cal, uh, we've got a four-point lead under a minute at Gonzaga, let that game get away. Um, and, and so we've got a program that feels that, you know, that, that we're good enough to win those games. We just need to figure out how. And then this year we went out and competed a little better, went down the wire, like you're saying, and, and, and pulled off a win. And so then our confidence is high. Uh, but then we had some mid major losses, Georgia State, Santa Barbara, two teams that are also very strong. And we learned from those, you know, getting off the slow starts or whatnot. And the energy and effort it took us to get back in those games, uh, I think we learned that if we can put 40 minutes together of that, then we can be a really good basketball team, and we've played that way since.
0: Now, Coach, playing Georgia State, Coach, Ron Hunter has all kind of different kind of zones he throws at you. How tough is it to prepare for all the zones he throws at you? How you adjust the zone, depending on what you, what you guys are doing? So how tough are you all to prepare for the way, the way that Georgia State plays defensively?
4: Almost impossible, you know. I mean, they're a well-coached group. They're very talented, athletic. Um, and it, it's kind of like smoke and mirrors, you know, where um, it's a matchup. Uh, so you really can't play zone offense. you, you got to move them around with man principles offensively. And what might be there the first time down the floor probably isn't going to be there the next time down. So it's a game of adjustments and flow. And it, it took us about 20 minutes to just kind of get a feel for what it was they were doing. And by that time we were down 18 and a half. And work our way back to a tie game uh, with about 40 seconds to go in the game. Just couldn't quite close it.
0: i John, Trevor DeCure here on the bossman Show for the Montana Grizzlies. Now, Coach, looking at your roster, I love the mix of upperclassmen you have, those all the juniors you have, along with the young, upcoming players you have. So, Coach, should go to conference plays? You get to go to the big big sky. You feel like the experience the young guys get in, your juniors are giving you right now, and your one senior as well. You have on the roster as well will help you as you get down in March, where it gets crucial on tough road games. Tough conference and get that. The, Beats the
4: big dance here. No question. Um, you know, with, with the with the older with the junior class, three you know two of them are transfers, so they're they're in their fourth year experience. Played you know one played Pac-12 ball, another transferring from the Big West. So the guys that came in with some experience, and then Richard a the year, um, and, and, and so we're a little older. And uh, what, what's happened for us here is the the the, fret, the two freshmen and the sophomore have playing big minutes for us. They've had a chance to just continue to develop throughout the year, gain experience, uh, gain confidence. You know, our depth has just continued to increase because of it.
0: And uh, coach, just what you kind of look for when you go out and recruiting each each offseason, you want roster balance and class balance of from freshmen, sophomore, redshirt juniors, there's a few seniors picking in, or junior, or JC transfers or grad transfers. Is that, that kind of what you're looking for? A good mix of all of it, so you have your roster kind of always replenishing itself throughout the years here.
4: Yeah, our our deal really is um, high school seniors and and, and then D one transfers. You know, guys that are either transferring straight across or down, um, that might have a year or two under their belt, so they know they know what they're working on in their and their in their time of a red shirt, uh, and, and then it allows us to be a little older, a little more mature. And you know, the teams that are successful, at the mid level, getting to the NC two A tournament, playing against high majors typically are teams that are a little more experienced. And so once we become one of those experienced teams, we want to stay that way. And so knowing that we're, 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 we've got a junior class that's leading us in minutes played and scoring that by the time they graduate, those freshmen sophomores are going into junior senior year, which allow you to always be older. And, uh, and then their junior year, we should have a freshman class behind them, uh, be old and, and gain experience the same way. So, Hopefully, we'll always have juniors and seniors leading us.
0: You got there, right, Coach. And me and major, major, major Ball, you must be older. Because <laughs> if you're not, you could get killed. No question. <laughs> you, can, you can get killed. No it all a now, Coach, look at your stats, no Coach. I love, I love your stats, man. You got 14, You got three guys having 14 points a game, virtually pretty much. Five guys with at least four points a game. bounce rebounding as well. Seven guys with... Three or more rebounds. So, coach, when you got out this season make your season goals, was the goal for you guys to attack the glass and shut the basketball and get everybody involved and defense and offensive on the glass and scoring the ball a little bit here?
4: No question. You know, if you uh, if you can win the rebounding battle every night on both sides, uh, percentage wise, and you know have a high field goal percentage, you know low defense free throw percentage, probably got a chance to win every night. Um, and, I, and i always believe the best way to do that is with balance because. You know, you get one guy averaging 25 30 a game. On his off night, you probably don't win. And I think for us, we've had a different guy step up and be the key player for us in each night. You know, Saturday, Bobby Moorhead gets his first career double double. Uh, the game before that, uh, Michael Ginnett goes for career high 39. Game before that, Jamar Cole goes for career high 34. But Amad Roar is our leading scorer at just under 20 a game. So. I just think the balance is the best way to be consistent and uh,
0: have an opportunity to win every night. Now, Coach, how do you keep your guys focused at one game at a time? Now, I look at the record, there's 7-0 in conference play. How do you keep them guys focused? It's, hey, we're focused on Southern Utah only. So, that's, that's our biggest game is this game yeah. coming up here. So how do you keep guys 19, 20 years old, 21 years old, 22 years old, focused on this one game at a time, one day at a time, playing practice at a time?
4: You know, we overcommunicate. We, we We constantly give each other an assessment of who we are realistically. Uh, and, and your record never really defines who you are as a team, whether it's a losing record or a winning record. Um, it, it, it's, it's how much you can improve from one game to the next, how many adjustments you can handle making, um, and, and then avoiding slippage. And you're going to have it because we're human, so do we correct it. And we watch a ton of film. And so today, for 45 minutes, we watched everything we did wrong Saturday as opposed to, you know, patting ourselves on the back and in, and enjoying the success. The success is enjoyed. You know, you get about 24 hours to enjoy it, and you got to get back in the gym on Monday and get after it. So very little conversation about Saturday's game other than the things we need to correct. Uh, we'll come back, correct those things again tomorrow, and then Wednesday we'll, we'll, we'll prepare for Southern Utah one day prep. Um, but we, we constantly talk about respecting our opponent You know, it's one game at a time. And we've had enough um, adversity in the past, whether it's with this group or the group before them. Uh, We've had a team that, you know, finished 10th in the league, cost us a conference championship two years ago. Uh, Last year, we beat the top half of the league, but we slipped in some games against 9, 10, and 11 that cost us an opportunity to win a championship. So this team has been scorned enough in the past to understand how important it is to show up Southern Utah the same way you show up uh, for Weber or, or Idaho. And if we continue to do that, we'll be okay.
0: Now, Coach, as you prepare for Southern Utah, and know that Arizona coming up in the weekend, so do you kind of just look, what are you saying for the guys on film that, you, that you're going to try to attack this week against these guys as you get rid of these two home games coming up here?
4: Well, we try to pick up on what they did scheme-wise against us on both sides of the ball. Um, we'll review those things. If there's some things we struggle with, we'll fix it. If there's some things that maybe we, we could take advantage of that we might have missed or that they had a problem um, stopping, we'll continue to do those things. Uh, and then, you know, we got to watch, you know, the recent games. Um, Southern Utah, for an example, had one of their leading scorers not play against us last time. And so we got to make sure we, we're, we're prepared for him impactfully. Uh, and then they had a post player that, our, you know, our game was the second game of the season with them. So we just got to make sure they're still utilizing the same way they did last time we played and what areas that we struggle in or whatnot. not. Uh, but everybody makes adjustments as the season goes on. We need to pick up on those adjustments that both Southern Utah and NAU have made prior to our game.
0: Uh, now, uh, Coach, last one for you I have for you is this, Coach. Uh, you speak about the quality of the of the Big Sky Conference. I, I see – I know I watch you all games a little bit here on like ESPN 3. I kind of see what you guys are doing out there, man, so – So talk about the coach in the league, the team in the league, for a lot of people in Atlanta who might not know about you guys. Can you give us a little little bit of a breakdown of your league as a whole for people who might not know about it, who want to learn about the Big Sky Conference. Share with us a little bit about it, please, Coach. Well, in the past,
4: it's, you know, when I first got here, our first two years here, um, the Big Sky was number one three-point shooting conference in the country. And so um, systematically you, you, you had to take away the three ball and, you know, Typically, you'd have teams that played probably 400 players in one post, with the exception of maybe Weaver State. The conference has grown over the years. Um, some new coaches, uh, University of Idaho returning to our conference from the WAC. And what, what's happened is you've got transfers coming in, Pac-12, Mountain West, um, and, and then you've got a lot of schools' redshirt guys and recruiting at a higher level. So now it's a more talented, league. it's a deeper league than it once was. You probably got about ten to fifteen guards in this conference that can drop twenty-five on any given night, um, which, which you know, is a sign of talent. Um, you know, Northern Colorado's led by a transfer from Arizona State. We've got a transfer from Oregon, transfer from Washington, transfer from Fullerton, um, and and so it's an older league with red shirts. And what you're seeing this year is I think you've got about four teams that have high major wins, Pac-12, ACC, uh, and then and, and a number of Mountain West wins. So it's grown, it's deep, and it's more talented than it's other men.
0: Now, Coach, I got one more for you, Coach. I heard what you just said. I would think, Coach, being out there on the West Coast with California, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, those kind of states are right near, near you guys. Yes, it would be great to recruit out there, get all these good players to come play pay, pay for you guys.
4: No question. And, you know, you got, you've got two head coaches, three head coaches right now in our conference that has been high major assistants in the Pac-12. You've got another assist, another head coach that was the interim head coach at, at, at UNLV uh, for the second half of the season and uh, was a part of a staff that started Finley Prep. that recruited at a high level and won national championships at the prep level. So you've got experience recruiting along with two head coaches at Idaho and Eastern and and Weaver State that uh, have have been coaching for a long time and have been a part of success. So there's a ton of experience. Uh, You know, uh, you got Cat at San Diego State, or Sacramento State that's probably got one of the highest win percentages in junior college nationally. So a lot of experience coaching, a lot of experience recruiting, uh, and you just, you know, and like you say, location on the West – there's a lot of movement these days, you know, in NC 2 A basketball. And with that being said, I think there's a few of us taking advantage of it and uh, just trying to make sure we've got our ears to the ground and any opportunity we can get to, to get one of those kids that are transferring down they are talented enough to play at a high level but looking for a positive experience uh, to come be impactful for our programs.
0: Well, I hear that, Coach. Coach. It's been lovely having you on the show. Coach. I, said, I love to try to get my African American coaches on the show because I'll try to give you all some air time and some coverage. So I'm glad to have you out get you on the show, Coach. I saw you guys have been doing well, so I want to get you on soon. So we're looking for you around conference training time, Coach. We wish you some luck with that as well. But good luck against Southern Utah and Northern Arizona this weekend, Coach. We'll talk to you down the road, man.
4: Thank you. I appreciate the
0: love. All right, folks. Travel to the Cure and the Bossman show, people.